yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you missed it two Sunday nights ago. I told the story about, about Ezekiel, the Ezekiel bread, the real Ezekiel bread. <laughs> <laughs> real. You see what you miss when you don't, we don't have Sunday night tonight, but you miss a lot when you don't come. Ezekiel uh, chapter 7. Turn in your Bibles and I'll read the whole chapter. The word of the Lord came to me and you came to me. And you, O son of man, thus says the Lord God, to the land of Israel. And the end, the end has come upon the four corners of the land. Now the end is upon you, and I will send my anger upon you, and I will judge you according to your ways, and I will punish you for all your abominations. And my eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will punish you for your ways while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, disaster after disaster. Behold, it comes. An end has come. The end has come. It has awakened against you. Behold, it comes. Your doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come. The day is near, a day of tumult, and not of joyful shouting on the mountains. Now I will soon pour out my wrath upon you and spend my anger against you and judge you according to your ways. I will punish you for all your abominations and my eye will not spare nor will I have pity. I will punish you according to your ways while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord who strikes. Behold the day, behold it comes. Your doom has come, the rod has blossomed Pride has budded. Violence has grown up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall, be, shall remain, nor their abundance, nor their wealth. Neither shall there be preeminence among them. The time has come, the day has arrived. Let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, for wrath is upon all their multitude. For the seller shall not return what he has sold while they live, for the vision concerns all their multitude, it shall not turn back, and because of his iniquity, none can maintain his life. They have got blown the trumpet and made everything ready, but none goes to battle, for my wrath is upon all their multitude. The sword is without, pestilence and famine are within. He who is in the field dies by the sword, and him who is in the city, famine and pestilence devour. And if any survivors escape, they will be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them moaning, each one over his iniquity. All hands are feeble, and all knees turn to water. They put on sackcloth, and horror covers them. Shame is on all faces, and baldness on all their heads. They cast their silver into the streets, and their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it, for it was the stumbling block of their iniquity. His beautiful ornament they used for pride, and they made their abominable images and their detestable things of it. Therefore I make it an unclean thing to them, and I will give it into the hand of foreigners for prey, and to the wicked of the earth for spoil, and they shall profane it. I will turn my face from them, and they shall profane my treasured place. 
robbers shall enter and profane it. Forge a chain, for the land is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. I will bring the worst of the nations to take possession of their houses. I will put an end to the pride of the strong, and their holy places shall be profaned. When anguish comes, they shall seek peace, but there shall be none. Disaster comes upon disaster. Rumor follows rumor. They, they seek a vision from the prophet, while the law perishes from the priest and counsel from the elders. The king mourns. The prince is wrapped in despair, and the hands of the people of the land are paralyzed by terror. According to their way, I will do to them according to their judgments. I will judge them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Father, bless our understanding this reading of your infallible, inerrant word. Amen. Some of the most tragic words you may ever hear in your life are, it's too late. For years, I had uh, a uh, recurring nightmare that I, I missed all of my college finals and couldn't <laughs> Some of you had that nightmare. Um, it was too late. You didn't show up on time. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you've had the awful report of a, a disease that had spread and, and uh, for a loved one or maybe even yourself and it can't be treated. It could have been, but it's too late. Maybe in a relationship, I think some singer made a lot of money off of that a song by that title uh, back in my day, it's too late. It's, and I heard, I heard someone say that recently about a relationship, that it was too late. When a trust is broken or, or something uh, doesn't work out, it is too late. And that's exactly the situation that Judah finds herself in before the Lord in Ezekiel chapter 7. Numerous calls were made for her to repent from her idolatry, to, to change, and she refused them all. And so Ezekiel in chapter 7 verse 1 says, the word of the Lord came to me and end. This will end. It's over. It's too late. The end has come. You know, sometimes the, the um, popular description of prophets, and I think Ezekiel is probably one of these that is often depicted as holding up a sign and saying, uh, repent, the, the end is near. And actually, when you see that comic and you see that sign, it's, it, if you're thinking of Ezekiel, it's not the end is near, the end is here. This is what he is saying. The end is here. The end has come. In chapter 5, we saw the message was against Jerusalem. 
and, and the corruption in Jerusalem and in the temple in chapter 6. The, the message was against the mountains of Israel, meaning the high places of idolatry that were contained in the mountains of Israel. And here, the message is to the whole land of Israel, the four corners of the land. And there will be no sparing God's righteous judgment. We're having a marvelous ongoing Sunday school class on the covenants led by our elder Jeff Tuning. And uh, I, I, think, I think of all the wonderful ways he's bringing uh, the covenant out. And one of the things he's mentioned is the, the stipulations of the covenant that are given to Israel in Acts and the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, chapter 28 and 29, you have these blessings and you have these curses. In those chapters about what would happen to Israel if she obeyed, she would be blessed. She would prosper. She would defeat her enemies and, and, and uh, life would be good in the land and the promises that are tied to the land. And there was quite a discussion about how are these promises tied to the land. And there's no doubt they are, and they, they, they seem to be irrevocable promises, and how do we translate that to life? And I think there is definitely a spiritual application that we need to make, and we make it all the time in our wonderful hymns that we sing uh, about Zion and Jerusalem and, and uh, our, our place in his temple, which is the gathered worship of God. But speaking strictly of the time and place of ancient Israel with the threat of the Babylonians coming down upon Israel to judge them this is this is they're being read the case law this is why you're going into exile this is why you're all these dreadful judgments are going to fall on you because of all the ways you have violated God's holiness. And there is no plea bargain. There is no negotiation in the court of God at this point. And again, the reason for his justice is his own glory that you may know that I am the Lord we always see these things in the Bible and, and, and we need to see them clearly that on the one hand there is the justice of God and on the other there is the grace of God and I want to stay over here. I don't want to think of God's righteous justice and holiness. But these two things have joined together and met together in God's, in God's personhood and who he is. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they have been fully reconciled by his revelation of himself mainly on the cross 
the old covenant people were looking forward to all these all of, all of these uh, things that they were given they were looking forward to that perfect messiah who would one day come and deliver them from all their enemies and when he came they completely missed who he was and what was true of god in the old testament is true of god in the new testament as well Perhaps you've heard, I, I heard growing up from some wonderful people I really loved and uh, really respected, and I believe that they, they had a real relationship with the Lord, but they didn't understand this tension. I don't fully understand it either, but I know it's true because the Word of God reveals it. Oh, we don't like, we don't like God in the Old Testament. I, I, I mean, really... Captain House asked me to do this series on Ezekiel. I didn't want to do it. Because I had to read chapters like this and, and brace yourself. It's going to get worse. <laughs> Much worse. But I'm going to do it. Because he's right. We need this message today. These are hard things. One of the truths about God's mercy and kindness and graciousness they do come to an end there is a limit Verse 5 through 9 describe that that limit has been reached with Israel. <clears throat> Note carefully, if, if you have a, a translation of the Bible, I hope you bring your own translation of the Bible. And it's even in the Pew Bible, if you don't have your own copy in, in Ezekiel 7. That this is the Lord. And you'll notice that Lord is all capitalized. In, in most of the time in this passage. And that is God's covenant name, Yahweh. Um, and we know from the New Testament, and particularly John's Gospel, chapter 8, that it is no less than the pre-incarnate Christ. We, we like to think of sweet Jesus, meek and mild. We, we love the, the Christmas season and the emphasis on the baby, the Jesus. But this sweet child that we remember who was born into this world grew to full manhood perfectly. Never once turning from the right and left of God's perfect justice and perfect holiness and demonstrating at the same time his perfect grace and his perfect mercy. In order to reconcile God's people to himself. And we think of him dying in our place. And sometimes we, and, and we even think of him resurrected. But when we understand him resurrected, we need to also understand that this is the conquering king. Jeff referenced Psalm 2 this morning. How, do a Bible study. See how many times Psalm 2 is referenced in the New Testament and always with a view that the king will come and destroy his enemies. 
He will slay the dragon of the devil. He will crush his head as was promised in Genesis 3.15. And he will do that for his people throughout the history of his people. And ultimately, he will fulfill, he will slay him in his power over, over death for all who put their faith and trust in him. But for those who refuse his mercy. Note our text. Ooh, I'll just say this. You do not want, like, like the, the commercials I see on TV, what, what you deserve. Oh, it just cracks me up. I've hit, hit Medicare age, and I, I, hear, I, read, I hear the commercials. You need to get everything you deserve. And I just, I want to turn the television Because everything I deserve from the hand of a righteous, holy, perfect God is judgment and wrath forever. I want God's grace. I want his kindness. I want his mercy. And who does he demonstrate his mercy to? He, he demonstrates his mercy to those who return to him, who give him honor and worship. Note, that this, in, in the land, in, when, the, when Israel was wandering in the wilderness, and God was so kind and so gracious to these grumbling, ungrateful people. Uh, and, and the Bible tells us how we read the Old Testament over in 1 Corinthians 10. The Apostle Paul says, don't be like them. Negative examples. And here it is, and this I think is really fair that we look at this passage like this. We don't want to be like Judah who hardened themselves, who worshipped idols and, ex and, and exhausted the patience and the kindness of God until he said to them, it's too late. But in the wilderness, God spoke kindly to uh, Israel and said, I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you from your diseases and protects you from your enemies. Note here, verse 9, I am the Lord who strikes. Lord who strikes. I've taken a few blows in my life. There's nothing like a blow from the hand of God. A physical blow may hurt you for a minute. Well, a blow from the hand of God will hurt you forever. You want to plead and beg for his mercy and for his grace. This is not sweet little Jesus, boy, meek and mild. This is the mighty Messiah. This is the one who rules, who will crush the head of Satan and all of his in all of his minions. How does he do it? He does it through means. The one who created everything out of nothing 
who made the nations, who created people of all kinds in his image. He raises them up for one purpose. And that purpose is always the same for his own honor and glory. And he sends things into our world, this fallen world that is broken and not what it should be because of our sinful rebellion. Whether it's a volcano or an earthquake or a drought or a famine or a pestilence of disease. These are messengers of God to get our attention. Will we bow before him? Will we bow and humble ourselves before God the judge? And God sent one of those after another to his people, Israel, and they refused. And there we see the limits. His wrath will come in the form of the Babylonians, this fierce and wicked nation will come crashing down upon them. And there will be a grim harvest of judgment. It's a, this is not the, the, the wonderful springtime harvest that we look forward to with all kinds of, uh, and the fall, har the fall harvest rather, of all kinds of wonderful things uh, that are coming in and on our table you see Today, you'll see all kinds of wonderful things. But this, this, is a, this is not that kind of harvest. This is a harvest of doom. This is what happens when pride buds. I, I think if you aim your organization pride, you should really reevaluate that in the light of how God views man's pride. violence that has grown into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain. Their abundance shall be gone. There will be no preeminence among them. Israel grew more and more arrogant. They increased their idolatry. And what we have is a illustration of that incredible spiritual principle that the Apostle Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 6. You reap what you sow. Israel is reaping what she sowed. She sowed violence. She sowed hatred. She sowed hostility. And she is reaping that full harvest upon herself. And so the opposite is true for nations as well as individual believers, and that's how I would apply it. If you, if you sow, sow seeds of hatred and discontent and, 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 and uh, violence in your life, you're gonna reap that in your life. But if you sow the fruit of the Spirit, you'll reap that. If you sow love and if you sow joy and you show peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and long-suffering and you demonstrate self-control you will reap that in your life but again this passage is not about that israel had that opportunity and turned away from it the message here is business as usual is over it's over What's coming is pestilence and famine. 
destruction. Everyone will be turned over to this iniquity. And when you see the terror coming, it says your knees will be weak. That's just, that's the, the, the real translation of that is you're going to wet your pants. It's going to be so bad, you're going to wet your pants. The, the, the terror that's coming upon you. <coughs> Business is as usual is over we're we're all about a community that's all about buying and selling I, I can't tell you how many buyers and sellers of different kinds i've met over the years and many some of you are here today and that's what you do and that's it's that's what business is and then again we're glad for the freedom and the prosperity and the blessings that come from that but there came a time in the life of israel where that was over and there may come a time soon in our own situation. And, and you can look at the history of nations. There comes that time at the end of God's patience where he said, says enough. And all the, all the buying and selling you may try to do will come to nothing. It comes to an end. Jesus said it so plainly to us. The, the incarnate Son of God, when he walked among us, he, he, he gave us plain understanding of what this means when he said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in this world. Where moths corrupt, where thieves break in and steal. The only thing you get to keep in the next life is what you've sent ahead. Where is your treasure, he said. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Is it focused on this world and accumulating things for self? Or is it focused on heaven and the glory of his, his kingdom forever? Israel was set in the midst of the nations to be an example. And rather than be an example... It simply followed after the example of the nations themselves, not only their false gods and their detestable things, but all their all the ways that followed after that. And God held them up for special justice. The justice that only He could deliver. This is what happens when my people violate my commandments. And do not return to me. Riches are no refuge. There's no amount of money that can stop the judgment of God. Pride and arrogance are at the bottom of every sin and every rebellion against God. What does it take to get Israel's attention. It takes two exiles. It takes the destruction of the whole northern part of the country 140 years before, right? Never to be reassembled fully in Israel. They, call, they still call them the ten lost tribes. 140 years later, Judah still doesn't understand. The example of her big sister didn't do a thing for her. 
and God's judgment falls again. I, I, uh, I've gotten to go to Egypt a couple of times in my life, and I always, they always want to run your mouth to those pyramids and the <laughs> Museum of Ancient History. And it's really moldy and messy, and it just smells bad. <laughs> but it's just amazing. They have these huge coffins of gold. I mean, it's, it's bigger than an organ, bigger, you know, bigger than some of them, just half the size of this, just pure gold. And, and I just think, what a pace these Egyptians could get themselves completely out of debt if they just <laughs> melted down the coffin. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> but they're antiquities. Every one of them's empty or got these nasty 5,000-year-old bones, bones in them, wrapped in stuff. They were trying to take it with them. And the reason that stuff's there is that grave robbers robbed them, sometimes in the name of history and archaeology. And you think, what a mess. This world and everything in it is going to fail. Your health is going to fail. You're, you're, even if you accumulate the whole world at the end on your bank account and your, in your bank statements, guess what? You'll not get to spend one penny beyond the grave. What I, by whatever measure of success you measure success by, It'll be gone, whether it's your athletic endeavors or whether it's your personal endeavors, it's whether it's your, your uh, legacy of faith. You know who lives on? It's those saints who spent their life imparting their faith to the next generation. It's those martyrs who paid the ultimate price, who glory in heaven, awaiting the perfect justice of God. The true who understand where true riches lie. Riches in this world, the things of this world, whether it's rep reputation or honor or whatever we seek and whatever we uh, try to hold on to, it will suddenly be gone. And we will stand before the judge. And we will give an account. And what will you plead when you stand there? I think about what I'll say. And it always begins with, Lord, have mercy. Because I don't deserve to be in your presence forever. We come to the Lord's table as we do often on the Lord's Day, and we are told to judge ourselves, that we would not be judged. And how do we judge ourselves? Whether or not we're in Christ, whether or not we discern the body of Christ, which is his church, and that we're rightfully a member of that body. Our communion is open to believers from any any fellowship that uh, where you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you profess faith in Christ alone. We, we don't judge that for you, but we do earnestly ask that you judge it for yourselves. 
urge us all to do that now as we prepare to come to his table. And if you've judged yourself that you were not in Christ through faith and trust in him, I urge you, do not wait one second more. Put your faith and trust in him alone. Because it, that is the only way you can escape his wrath, his righteous wrath and judgment. Let us pray. Father, thank you for hard things in the Bible, like this chapter. We pray that we would take the message to heart, and we would indeed judge ourselves rightly. If anyone here has yet to come to put their faith in Christ alone, if you have to come to that place, may, through the Holy Spirit, you enable them to do so even now. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.